This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 23, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. The D.C. City Council has done its best to maintain an effective ban on functional firearms in the District of Columbia. The D.C. Circuit disagrees striking down many of those restrictions in the wake of the Heller decision at the Supreme Court. And because of its plaintiff, the case is being called Heller 2. I spoke with Cato Associate Policy Analyst Dave Kopel about the case this week. The D.C. Council, of course, lost the major U.S. Supreme Court case of District of Columbia versus Heller in 2008 when the U.S. Supreme Court decided that D.C. cannot ban handguns. Since then, D.C. has complied with the Supreme Court's new rules about the Second Amendment with all the enthusiasm of a uh, racist school board in Alabama uh, desegregating itself pursuant to the Supreme Court's uh, Brown versus Board decision in 1954, which means they are doing everything they can to claim they are in compliance in some kind of technical way, but have really been engaged in a uh, campaign of massive resistance ever since 2008. It, it, it is to some degree understandable that uh, D.C. would look at the Heller decision affirming an individual right to keep and bear arms and say, well, how close to what we had before can we get now? Well, th- th- that's right. And the uh, another analog is after the Civil War, the unreconstructed Confederate states recognized that slavery as a legal institution had to go. They'd fought a war. 600,000 people died. They were on the losing side of the war. So you were not going to have formal legal slavery anymore. So what they did was they took the old slave codes governing the conduct of slaves and reenacted them as the black codes uh, applicable to the now what were now the, the freedmen. No, no public assemblies without special permission, no bearing arms without special permission, and on and on and on. Uh, no, no, you have to have a job if you're black and you be under a labor contract to some white guy. And that's one of the things that led to the Civil Rights Act, to the, the Second Freedmen's Bureau Bill, and of course, ultimately to the, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. And D.C. is following that, uh, the, the same strategy as Alabama did in December of 1865, which is, yes, we're going to give up on gun bans officially, but on the other hand, we're going to try to keep them in a in practice uh, de facto. D.C. Circuit has recently decided... Uh, a bunch of issued a bunch of opinions on guns. What were they? The United States Circuit Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia uh, just decided a case called informally Heller Three, Heller versus District of Columbia, because it involves the, among others, the same plaintiff, Dick Anthony Heller, a security guard at the federal courts, challenging uh, the D.C. Council's new anti-gun laws. And the Federal Circuit Court struck down much but not all of D.C.'s gun registration system, applying a standard called intermediate scrutiny. The court found that many of the D.C. laws did not advance any legitimate state interest in a uh, direct and material way which is required under direct, under intermediate scrutiny. D.C. has the option of petitioning for an en banc rehearing, although, which would mean the, the entire D.C. Uh, Circuit Court of Appeals, all the judges, would rehear the case. I think the, the chances of 
them succeeding at getting an on-bank rehearing are low because one judge in the case, uh, Judge Ginsburg, had previously in a case known as Heller II, upheld some of D.C.'s other anti-gun laws, which means he's not uh, – he's sort of in, in the middle on that issue. And the, the second judge in the majority of this case was Patricia Millett, who was a recent Obama appointee but widely respected as a lawyer's lawyer. So given that makeup of the panel, I think it, it's, it's unlikely that the full D.C. Circuit would want to rehear the case. And the Supreme Court has – Ever since 2010, when it, in McDonald versus Chicago said the Second Amendment applies to state and local governments just as it applies to the Congress and the federal government, has not had much interest in taking Second Amendment cases. So I, I think Heller III is the, uh, the end of the road for some of the, the most oppressive parts of D.C.'s gun registration law. Where else will uh, these kind of fights break out? I mean, we, we, as you mentioned, McDonald with in Chicago, but where else are there issues of state and local governments refusing to essentially comply with the Supreme Court's opinion in Heller? Well, currently before the U.S. Supreme Court is a, an appeal from the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers the, the Midwest, Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, about a gun and magazine ban enacted by the Chicago suburb of, of Highland Park. And that, uh, we don't know if the Supreme Court is going to choose to take it, but it would be a good case if they wanted to do a Second Amendment one because the decision written by uh, Judge Easterbrook is so openly contemptuous of the U.S. Supreme Court and essentially says, well, yeah, Heller's a uh, – a decision the Supreme Court said, and they, they, technically they, they did issue that opinion, but I don't consider it very binding on me, so I'm going to invent some new standard of what is allowed under the Second Amendment uh, with a three-part test, all three parts of which contradict the Supreme Court's Heller decision. All right. There's a, another case, Mance versus Holder, which uh, is essentially dealing with interstate commerce and guns. Yes. In 1968, Congress enacted the Gun Control Act of 1968 and said that with limited exceptions, you cannot buy guns outside your state of residence. In 1986, Congress repealed that for long guns but kept it in effect for handguns. The Manses are a family that lives in Washington, D.C., where there are no gun stores. And now D.C. allows people to buy a gun from out of state and then have it shipped to a gun dealer in Washington, D.C., or you can just bring the gun in yourself directly. So deep, the, the district itself has no law against people buying guns from outside the district. But Congress says you, you can't do that. You could only if you're a the Mances, for example, and you're visiting a gun store in Texas and you want to buy a pair of handguns there, you can't buy the pair of handguns, bring them back to D.C., register them in D.C., as is required by D.C. law. Cong the, the Gun Control Act forbids that kind of action with long guns, with, with handguns. You instead would have to pay for the guns in Texas and then have them shipped to the one licensed firearms dealer in the district who has an office right next to police headquarters, pay the heavy fees for that transaction somewhat pointlessly. And again, this is something the Manses who live in D.C. wanted to buy a pair of handguns in Texas, 
the dealer in Texas was ready to sell them to the Manses. Uh, so the only question is, do the Manses have to pay this extra, quite heavy, transaction cost of having them first shipped to the uh, federal firearms licensee, the, the gun dealer uh, in Washington, D.C.? Is this something like an interstate tariff? I mean, it, it oh. would seem that the federal government would have the power to decide that this is uh, not something that's that's uh, legal. Well, there's no question that Congress has the authority, and legitimately, under the Constitution, to regulate interstate commerce. To make it regular. Yes. And at the same time, Congress's interstate commerce power is also itself regulated and bounded by the rest of the United States Constitution, including the Bill of Rights. So when you put this barrier on the acquisition of firearms, and of course you can't exercise the Second Amendment right to keep arms unless you can acquire arms in the first place, the federal district court in Texas said this law against interstate commerce in handguns just doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe it did in 1968 because that was the only way you could, for example, New York has really strict gun laws, and they don't want New Yorkers going down to Texas, buying guns there and bringing them back in New York in violation of New York laws. But that is no longer an issue, the federal court in Texas explained, because we have now have, and have had since 1998, the national instant background check system. So a gun store in Texas dealing with a customer from anywhere in the country can contact the FBI and get that high-quality background check done. You don't have to be dependent on local law enforcement to do background checks on gun buyers. We can get the, the, the check can be done anywhere nationally thanks to advancing technology. And, and because of that, whatever state interest there was in restricting interstate commerce and handguns in 1968 no longer exists. Now, that, that case is on appeal to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, the Supreme, you said the Supreme Court, you said the Supreme Court doesn't really seem to have an appetite for taking uh, additional gun cases. Is that because they're sort of letting Heller and McDonald sort of work their way through various federal circuits? It's hard to tell what they're doing because they, they have sometimes let jurisdictions get away with decisions that are pretty contemptuous of the decisions in Heller and McDonald. You know, we talk about contempt of court. Uh, the San Francisco city government seems to have contempt of the Supreme Court after Heller and McDonald very clearly said that the right to keep and bear arms includes the right to have a functional, operable, handgun in the home for lawful defense, San Francisco enacted an ordinance which says for handguns at home, they have to be locked up in a lockbox or something similar all the time, or you have to be carrying them on your person. So the only way you can have a functional gun that is ready to be used for self-defense is when you're wearing it. And that is a absurd thing to say. It means when you're sleeping or when you're taking a bath, you can't have a gun that's ready. And of course, you know, when you're uh, at night at home, 
when burglars sometimes break in and you're asleep and it's three o'clock in the morning, that might be the time when it's most likely you're going to need a gun for protection. And the San Francisco City Council said, at that time, we're going to make sure you're disarmed because since you're sleeping, you're not going to be wearing the gun on, on your person. And therefore, it's got to be locked up. And as the plaintiffs in a case called Jackson versus San Francisco testifies, they said, look, we're, we're elderly people, for example. We, can't, we don't have the dexterity, the mobility, the speed to unlock a safe or whatever quickly enough to get a handgun in that moment of dire necessity. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court refused to hear the case of Jackson versus San Francisco. Two justices, Justice Scalia and, and Thomas, wrote a dissent from the denial of certiorari, explaining how even though this San Francisco law is quite rare as a type, uh, so there's no split among the circuits about laws like this, it's still worthy of Supreme Court consideration especially for its flagrant defiance of what the court said in the Heller case itself. Dave Kopel is an associate policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.